Well, as we get close to the Christmas season, we'd probably be amiss if we didn't talk about the Prince of Peace, right? The little baby born to bring peace on earth, goodwill to men. Uh, but as we talk about the Christmas season, for some of us, that doesn't, is the exact opposite of what comes to our mind and what we might be experiencing. Um, the holiday seasons, for, for many, always bring up some of those negative emotions or remembrances of loss, or the list goes on and on. And so I just want to remind you, uh, if you're struggling with the loss of a loved one during this time, down at Alive Church on December 10th, we're going to have a Surviving the Holidays session uh, that would maybe be a good help to you and maybe help you weather some of that storm and, and minister to you there. So we would invite you to that. Or if you have any friends who you might know that would be of help to, you can certainly uh, bring them along. But you get together with the, with the outlaws and the in-laws and everybody for Christmas and the old peace on earth, goodwill to men isn't maybe what, what comes to mind, really. <laughs> Maybe you'd like to goodwill somebody out the back door, huh? Um, you never know what's going to happen. Um, peace on earth. This is what he came for. Maybe old wounds come up. Maybe they're fresh wounds. Um, I think everybody within the sound of my voice might have some of those things that, that are going on. I saw kind of a funny video this last week. Uh, it was one of those... Uh, pharmaceutical commercials but it was done by a church and the pharmaceutical was called Reconcilosec <laughs> one pill helps reconcile all those bad relationships and you know it was a neat little video wouldn't it be nice if there was a pill you know and it had all the warnings at the end for engaged couples do not take if you're engaged because it might lead to too much and uh, this has been found to not help at all when you're arguing about who gets, uh, you know, the inheritance of someone who just passed away and so on and so forth. But if you could just take a reconcilosec pill and drop it in their cup this Christmas, it might work out a little bit better. Wouldn't that be nice if it was that way? Who do you have peace issues with? We think of Mary and Joseph and the birth of Christ. It's just kind of a soft story, and everybody loves it, and the songs that we sing about it. But if you think about the turmoil that they might have been going through in all of this, it really can be something. You and I see it from post-birth, right? So we look back on it, and we say, ah, and we sing the songs. But let's just think about Mr. Joseph for a second. When you find out the news that you're engaged to be, soon to be married, is pregnant, you knew you had nothing to do with it. And she comes and says, it's okay, it's okay, I'm still a virgin, I'm, I'm still a virgin. <laughs> what do you do there? Small town, word gets around. So much so, Mary had to leave town, go clear down to the south of Israel. Um, it's because it was warmer down there, Christmas time. No, that's not it at all. Um, it's hard to believe a miracle over the betrayal. I mean, the betrayal would come out, the buzz around town, the small town talk, and you and I just get the end of the story. Uh, and the Bible even tells us that he tried to deal with this turmoil by divorcing Mary. And even in all of that, he tried to do it quietly because he was a righteous man. Uh, hey, you got to do what you got to do in a time of turmoil like that, don't you? 
Uh, and it was probably so bad for him. I mean, we even see the angel come to him and say, it's okay, dude. It's all right. This is from God. Uh, and the angel even comes to him and says, don't be afraid. These are reminders Joseph needed. So we need to, we need to realize that Joseph's blood pressure was up when he was going through all of these things. And so as well with you and I at the Christmas time, it's not always great. And so we want God to give peace to us. And the Christmas story is really about that. Peace. But what God wants to do is to bring peace through us and not necessarily give it to us. If, he, if we bring it through us, then he'll give it to us as well. So the first point I want to make is we, we need to be careful about the assumptions that we make about Jesus and peace. We might jump too far. Christmas, Prince of Peace, it's a tradition, right? We do it every year. And as such, traditions can kind of wear on us, wear us down, and we just kind of have our set viewpoints and perceptions of them. And so we might be guilty of making some assumptions about this. And you know what assumptions do, right? I'm not going to say it because you know, right? Even it says, Matthew 10, do not assume that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So with Jesus, knowing he's the Messiah and knowing that he was kind, gentle, full of grace, might cause us to jump ahead and say, he's very passive. He's very feminine. He's very soft very forgiving, full of love, all of those things, full of grace, but it was also full of truth. And the truth of the gospel that he would bring to everybody would be a sword to certain families. And that's what he goes on to say after that verse, I came to bring son against father, mother against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Well, that one's already there no matter what, but And that's because some people in the family would believe and take heart and heed and others wouldn't get it and there would be turmoil there. When it comes Christmas time and everybody gets together, everybody talks about what they're doing and what's new in their life and so on and so forth. Well, some people might not really appreciate that new step that such and such has taken. It's just all there, right? Tradition, strong beliefs, Don't just jump to the conclusion that I came to bring peace. There's going to be a lot of war that comes with it. So we got to be careful about that. The next thing I would like to point out is that to know him is to be like him. If we jump to the conclusions too fast, then we're going to miss him. And if we miss him, we're not going to be like him as much as what we're called to be. So here's his what he says. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. This is one of the things out of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm going to kind of zero in on a couple words today because it's important what those words are. And the first one I want to look at is peacemakers. Peacemakers are called the sons of God. And the sons of God just means we're like him. A son's like his father is what they're assuming there. If you are a peacemaker, you are like your father. And we would say like Jesus. If we've made false assumptions, we're going to miss that. 
But the peacemaker part is what I'd like to zero in on because he says that as opposed to peacekeepers. Just go ahead and raise your hand if you think you've been guilty of just keeping the peace. And there's been some compromises, a little regret that you didn't speak up when, you, when the time was right and all of that stuff. Feel like a doormat. Anger starts to get going in there. You want to get them back later on after you think about it. Blessed are the peacemakers, the proactive ones who go for peace rather than just lay back and keep it. The ones who are proactive in trying to bring about peace are the ones that he says are like God. So we got to get this thing right. If we really want to be like God and his son, we got to get this one right and make those assumptions. So guess what? I'm going to talk the rest of the day about it. Not the rest of the day. Cameron's got to get home and get some jeans on. So... Now, Jesus said this about peacemakers at a time when Rome was wielding its influence. And you see a lot of statistics like this, but one that I've read is that Rome taxed the people of Israel to the tune of 90%. That's crazy. I don't know if that's the exact number. I've seen other numbers, but it was overly taxed, taxing on the people. That's why they hated the tax collectors so much. So you think about that. Jesus comes and he says, peacemakers, I want you to actively resuscitate your heart and reconstruct your insides so that you are a peacemaker. And you can imagine a lot of the people in Israel would just say, you know, that's a little bit of relational advice that I'm just not ready to chew on yet, Jesus. I don't really want to do that. Peacemakers. They wanted God to bring peace rather than them bring peace to the situation. And so Jesus in the sermon goes on and he'll, he'll say some things that we're going to get into in a little bit. But Jesus was not talking about peacekeeping. And there's a difference between that and peacemaking. And I think that's what he wants us to do. Swallow my tongue sometimes so we don't come to blows. Keep calm Peacemakers. Christmas peace is about opening ourselves to bring peace with us to the party. All right, point number three, and this is where we're going to start to get into how to do this, how to be proactive as a peacemaker. Point number three kind of goes along with the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. Raise your hand if you're guilty of breaking that one. You broke the Hippocratic Oath, didn't you? Couldn't stand it anymore, right? First, do no harm. Do not retaliate. Do not retaliate. I want to be in Romans for most of the day. Chapter 12, verse 17. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Just stop for a second. Breathe that one in. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. That's a big job, isn't it? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. A couple things there. If it's possible, tells me, or Paul is saying to me, sometimes it ain't. Sometimes it's not. And we'll get into how we deal with a person or a situation like that. If it's possible, first of all, and we're always hoping that it will be possible, 
as long as far as it depends on you, this is where you take the initiative because you can't rely on anybody else on this one. Maybe we can't even rely on ourselves, but as far as it depends on us, we are instructed to live at peace with everyone, even if we don't feel like it. All right, I'm going to read a verse from Proverbs. It's not up here because I want you to listen to it from my mouth because this one's going to blow you away, all right? This is good stuff right here. Do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. That's it. Earth shattering, isn't it? How many times have you said it though? How many times have you done it? So this is step number one. We are called not to retaliate. And that starts with what we're thinking and what we're saying out of your mouth. You're saying it to yourself. If you're trying to get somebody back, you're not going to let them know you're going to get them back. You're just going to do it, right? So he's saying, don't harbor that thought in your heart. I'm going to get them back. You're already started off on down the wrong road. You, you're already on the wrong trajectory. And you're already going to regret what's going to end up happening. So I'm going to read it to you again, as earth-shattering as it is. Do not say, I'll do to them what they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. Don't. You've got to stop. Simple as that. As simple as the verse is. There's nothing gray about that at all. You've got to look into your heart now. And whoever it is that you have the peace issues with, you just got to stop saying that. You got to stop creating the devious plans. You got to stop the manipulating thoughts on how you're going to do it. The little subtle manipulations that go wrong with that sentiment. We just got to get rid of it. We're called to something different. Do not retaliate. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So hard, so hard. All right. That requires, if we do that one well, that requires my next point. Move aside and cede control to God. Surrender control to God. He says it, do not take revenge, my friends. Don't repay evil for evil, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will do the repaying, says the Lord. So leave room. When you jump out and repay evil for evil, you've closed him out. You've taken him out of the situation. You've taken it into your own hands. So leave room for God. How do you, how do you illustrate this? Let's think of it this way. You're all baseball fans, right? Wow. Isn't it just like nobody's watching it on TV anymore? But think back to 10 years ago when you did watch it on TV, right? The pitcher's up there, and he's struggling, right? And so the manager goes out to the, to the, to the, to the hill, and uh, on the way out, you know, he gives this signal, right, bring in the lefty. And so when he gets out to the mound, do you see this thing that happens all the time that's just really kind of strange and kind of weird? It doesn't have to happen, but it always does. It's the ball handoff for the next guy to come in. So the pitcher who's struggling hands the ball to the coach who's just come out, right? You seen it? Now, there's a thousand baseballs at every baseball game, but I want that one right there. It's just kind of weird, right? 
And it's kind of like your gun and your badge, put it on the table right now, right? And it's humiliating for the pitcher. He does absolutely not want to give that ball up. He doesn't want to come out. I can do it, coach. I can do it, coach. I'm on it, coach. I'm on it, coach. But the coach still says, I'll take the ball, man. And you can see sometimes they don't like it. But it's just kind of this metaphor or this symbol. You're done. We're bringing in somebody else. All right. No pitcher wants to give the ball to the manager when he comes out there. Just like you, when you've been offended or somebody's done something to you, you don't want to give the ball to God, do you? Everything with inside of you is saying, I'm doing this one on my own. I'm not coming out of the game. Leave room for God. He's going to do it way better than you. Think he can do that? That's what Paul says for us to do. Leave room for God's wrath. It might help a little bit to know that God might send the wrath down on him. But he's not if you take it into your hands. Next point I'd like to make. This is going to help you, I hope. Peacekeepers are passive in their actions, but it's a big one. But they still maintain the initiative. How in the world, when you hand the ball off to God, it feels like I'm on my back. I'm out of control. The vulnerable feeling kicks in. There's nothing I can do. It's a terrible feeling. But I want to say to you, there's still a way that you can maintain initiative, which is really what you're mad about. Somebody offended me and took the initiative away from me, disrespected me, hurt me, didn't think of me, didn't treat me like they would want me to treat them. I've lost the initiative. My respect has been trampled on. Here's how you can keep the initiative. God promises this to us. On the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Uh, In doing so, here's your initiative. You're going to heap burning coals on his head. That's really what you want to do in your heart, right? The idea there is an enemy has come and besieged your city. You no longer have the initiative. What do you do? The enemy, the army is stronger than you. They're just going to wait you out and starve you out. But when they would do that, if the army would get too close to the wall, they had the hot coals heated up, dump it on the soldiers at the top of the wall. That's where that idea comes from. So look, God's given you an avenue. God is not telling you to be passive and just roll over and be a doormat. He's telling you how to take the initiative so it's effective and that you can get me involved. That's the better way. Hard, but it works so much better. I think we hear that there's two things that I can do here. Just give up or a fight back. I want to present to you kind of an in the middle. We're not going to give up, but we're not going to retaliate because we've already been told that's not the way to do it. And as followers of Christ, we're called to do better. There is a third way, and that's what we'll talk about now. Here, Matthew 5, verse 38. 
You've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I'm going to get them back. Exactly what they did to me, I'm doing it back. But I'm going to tell you, do not resist an evil person. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth was actually in the Old Testament law. And it was designed to help. But we had come to the point where we took that law and we used it as an excuse to retaliate. Law says it's okay. That wasn't the mindset of the law back then. So Christ raises the bar here with what he says, and he explains and illustrates to them how that's not an excuse. That's there to help you in case there's an evil offender. But we're going to go, we want the spirit of this thing. And so he brings it out in the next sentence. Here's an example. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Zeroing in on words, let's zero in on the word right. Right cheek. Does somebody want to come up and just let me haul off on them so we can illustrate this? No? Okay. (laughs) Right cheek. Now, as Jesus is saying this, he's assuming the person who hits you is right-handed. Most everybody is, right? He's assuming that. And so if you're facing me, your right cheek is over here. Here's my right hand. This is not what's happening. This is what's happening, right? So if someone hits you on the right cheek. What he's really saying there is if someone backhands you. Now, in Jewish law, if someone hits you with their palm, they would have to pay you 200. I can't remember the, 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 monetary, the monetary what was. But if they backhanded you, it was 400. So this is a sign of disrespect, okay? Your respect has been trampled on. So what's he say to the answer to that? You get them right back. Just get them right back. That's not what he says. He says, turn the other cheek, right? Turn the other one. So that now they have to forward and hit you on the left side of the cheek, okay? So the disrespectful backhand now becomes, hey, man, you need to hit me now as an equal. This is you're lower than me. This is we're equals. I still hate you, but we're equals. So he's illustrating the point here. First of all, he's saying, do not hit back. Don't retaliate. But here's how you take initiative. You turn the other cheek and make him hit you as equals. Then he will say, I'm not going to do that. So you've taken his mind, the man who hit you and disrespected you, and you've automatically turned it. This is what he's trying to illustrate. He's got another one here. If someone... Uh, wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. All right? So to sue you and take your coat, your outer coat, he's saying also give him the tunic, which is kind of the underwear that you'd sleep in, right? That would cause him to say, I, that was against the law. If someone didn't have any tunic underneath, you were by law to give them one so that they couldn't be naked. So if you offer to give him both, then he's breaking the law by not clothing you as a naked person. So you see this? There's a way to do this where you still keep the initiative even though there's an idiot out there. (laughs) Now this is wisdom, right? First of all, we've saved ourselves from stupid retaliation. That's dysfunctional. That's not going to get anybody anywhere. It's only going to further the animosity that we have between people. And that's not what we're supposed to do. We are called peacemakers. 
proactive peacemakers. What's the next one? The mile. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You haven't retaliated. And it would have been a Roman soldier who, by Roman law, could make you carry all of his stuff for a mile. But by Roman mile, he could only make you carry it one mile. And that's it. He couldn't make you go any further than that. Sort of mercy. Just one mile. But here's where you have the initiative. You just say, hey, man, there's the mile marker. I'm just going to keep going. And now all of a sudden, that Roman soldier, if he's got any thread of conscience at all, is going to say to you, no, 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 you already went the mile. No, I got it now. Just keep going. You've turned a man who disrespected you into one now who's almost for you. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, nobody's going to make you go a mile. Nobody's probably going to steal your clothes. And nobody's going to probably come right up, up and haul off on you. So, it's still difficult, right? You and I have to have the wisdom in the situations that you and I find ourselves in to be like this. How do we do that? Well, here's one from Paul, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty. In fact, he says, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or exalts himself or slaps you in the face. So Paul here is saying, why are you letting people slap you in the face? So we know now that Jesus, when he says, turn the other cheek, is not just saying, let them roundhouse you in hopes they feel sorry for you. No, there's a way to take the initiative. And it's not just being passive or a doormat. So this involves you and I having a lot of wisdom. It starts not with the guy making you go the extra mile. It doesn't start when he just backhanded you. This starts previous to any situation. This involves you setting out a course and reconstructing your insides before the family ever gets here for Christmas, right? So that you're ready, right? So love your enemies and pray for those who mistreat you. We already got to be in practice for that one so that we're ready. Initiate. If someone sins against you, go to them. Somebody has something against you, the exact opposite of our tendency is to go to them. That's what we got to do. It's what Christ did. Ephesians 5 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away had the animosity. You've been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one And he's destroyed the barrier, the animosity, the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing it in his flesh. That's how he did it. So, what can you give that challenges the animosity? Better than that, what will you give as a peacemaker? Will you be a purposeful peacemaker? Everybody is expecting you to act a certain way in a situation of animosity. This is where you and I have the opportunity to shine like stars in the night and actually be different. And so that leads me to my last point here. For you and I to be able to do this, it's going to demand moral authority. 
I don't know if you've, you've probably heard that term, but it's one of those where you kind of maybe thought you knew what it was, but maybe we should look it up. I did it for you. Here's the definition. Moral authority is authority that's premised on principles or truths which are independent of written laws. In other words, you and I have civil laws that we're to abide by so that we can have peace in our society. But moral authority takes it a step harder and it's premised on stuff that's not written down in our society. And it allows us the capacity to convince others how the world should be. And that's really what we want. When someone offends us, we really want them to, sh- we want them to see our side, see it from our viewpoint, and we want them to change, doggone it. Moral authority is how we do that. And so the last verse, do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you are overcome by evil, you're not going to like yourself very much. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Regret. But we can overcome evil by good. I just got one last one here to read to you. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen closely. For it's God's will. You ever wonder what God's will is? Here's a piece of it. It's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And that takes a little bit of fortitude. So he says, live as free people. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering... Here's the moral authority, because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. That's referring to the kangaroo court that he had to go through on the night that he was crucified. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, and he could have. Instead, here's the moral authority, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. This is him in action, a peacemaker in action. In his body, on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. He is trying to show us there's a better way to live and how things should be. His moral authority and his example was designed to catch our attention. To get us out of the dysfunctional reactions that we so oftentimes have. And be peacemakers. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. The animosity was there, but what what he did was show you something different. And you have responded to it. 
Wow, if we could do that with our family members and everybody else that we have peace issues with. I hope I've given you some new insights. Those are old scriptures. You've been in church any time long. We've probably heard them all. But it might be time that we reinvigorate and apply them. It's kind of hard, especially if you're a preacher studying these scriptures during the week and you know you've got to give a sermon on them. And you're sharing pumpkin pie with your wife, a lot of whipped cream, and she cuts off a slice to feed to you and then smears the whipped cream all over your mouth. You've got to apply these scriptures. It's hard, isn't it? Not to retaliate. It is hard. It is very hard. But this is the way in which God is trying to grow us and change us, build us up into bigger and better people. And I would submit this one last thing to you. It is in all of this, the hard work of this, bearing under the burden of this suffering, being conscious of God, that God produces his fruit through us and brings us towards our desires and our dreams and peace. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example because our flesh, had we not seen your example, would take over every time. We're all too familiar with that, God. So as we do all the time, God, we ask for your help this week to reapply these scriptures, to take maybe some new perceptions on on how to confront people or how to react to people and do it this time. Get it done. Be different and have changes in our relationships. God, for so many years, there's been those strongholds. I pray this week and in the month, all the holidays, we can actually do something to bring the strongholds down. Help us with that, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.